Hey, I'm Matt Simpkins, pastor of Christ South, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope this builds you up. I hope this helps you in your faith. I hope this helps you to see God at work. We'll see you at the end of the podcast. Good morning, church. Great to be with you today. Um, so, Pastor Drew and um, one of the pastors of Christ Lutheran, and it's always so uh, special to get to come to um, Christ South just like it is to get to go to Christ Concord and where I'm primarily at is Christ Providence. So um, pleasure to be with you. Uh, thanks to Pastor Matt and the Christ South team for um, such a warm welcome this morning is uh, able to share um, God's word with you today. Um, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So when I was in the eighth grade, we lived in a town called Kannapolis, about 45 minutes north of Charlotte. And I remember being in the eighth grade a um, long, long time ago, and I remember there was a, a cute girl a, f- a few desks up for me. Her name was Shannon. And um, we didn't know each other real, real well, but we, you know, we were friendly. And um, more than anything, I wanted to ask Shannon to the school dance. But you know what helped me back? Man, I was so afraid that if I asked Shannon to the dance, I was going to get shot down. The whole school would find out, and I would get teased relentlessly for, um, for months after that. At least that's how it looked in my mind. But right after eighth grade finished, my family and I, we moved back to Charlotte, where I grew up. And a few weeks after we moved, I got a letter in the mail from guess who? From Shannon. And I kid you not, it said more or less... I'm going to miss you, and oh, by the way, I was so hoping you were going to invite me to that dance. So you better believe um, when I met my wife, Megan, now, now my wife, Megan, I didn't let f- the fear of failure stand in the way of getting to know her better. Some years ago, Pastor Adam Hamilton, he's the pastor, the largest Methodist church in the country, he surveyed his entire congregation, and he asked them, what is one thing that you are petrified, terrified of? Spiders or snakes or public speaking, what is it? Um, I'd like to invite you to put some of those in the comments. What are some of the things that are, if you see this thing or you're in this position, it's going to bring about this gut fear for you. Um, are we able to see any of those things on the um, comment section? Spider, I know, I, snakes and I, um, we don't get along at all. So that's one for me. Butterflies. Butterflies, okay. That's all right. <laughs> Somebody said, all right. Uh, any others that popped up on the comments? We, not yet. All right, we want to invite you to keep putting those down. I'm sure we have a lot in common. But you know what Adam found, Pastor Adam? For people under the age of 50 which is interesting. I don't know why 50 was the breaking point, but for people under the age of 50, their number one fear was the fear of failure, that they were going to have this panic of not being able to, to provide for their families or this fear of, um, of having to admit that they blew it. We're in this sermon series right now called No Fear. The ironic thing is that that used to be a popular clothing line. In fact, when I was nervous about asking Shannon to the dance, I probably had on a no fear shirt as I was sitting there afraid to ask her to the dance. Some of you remember that clothing line, but we're looking at it as this acronym, fear, to be afraid of failure, 
um, economics, financial things, A for anxieties, just this general dread of, that, that can come, um, our reality, just the reality of being in this pandemic and um, so many other things right now, and then sickness as we look at um, the coronavirus in particular. But we're going to talk about the power of that fear can have, but the greater power that Jesus can offer us of a life with no fear in him. You know, in my life, I've, um, I've never met anybody that likes to fail. Nobody's ever said, you know, I, I'm okay with that. But at the same time, I've never met anybody in my life who's done anything meaningful at all without experiencing failure. Abraham Lincoln is famous for having failed in business. He lost eight elections before he was elected the President of the United States. Steve Jobs of Apple Computer, it's, he's well known for, he's fired by his own company. He fails in this way and then eventually comes back and leads a turnaround. One of my great heroes is a baseball fan, Babe Ruth, retired with, of course he's famous for 714 home runs, the record at the time, but he also retired with the record for the greatest number of strikeouts, 1,330. Every strike, he said, brings me closer to the next home run. Michael Jordan, he known for hitting the game-winning shot, but how many times did he get the ball in the corner, the three-point line, and clank it missed? He said, the reason I made so many was because I took the shot, and I missed a lot as well. You know, the issue with failure is um, it's not that it happens to me. It seems to me it's that we, we, we so often can internalize it. We can start to think, man, I am a failure. My life isn't, isn't worthy. I'm, I'm no good. There's no hope for me when we internalize the failure. Where did that come from? Unfortunately, it's been with us for a, a very long time. Back in the beginning, in Genesis, one of our readings for today, after God makes Adam and Eve and the rest of creation, God gives them every fruit tree, every tree to enjoy except for one. Remember, the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. And this must have been, to be fair, an impressive tree. Genesis 3, 6 says this, The fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. When Adam and Eve saw this tree that God told them not to eat of, the one and only there was something about it that they desired that. They wanted it. But here's what I find puzzling about this. Why not take that desire to God? You know, up until now, God has met every desire that they've had, including their deepest desire for companionship by giving them each other. Why not take the desire now for this tree and say, Lord, fill this desire in me. And yet, that's the story of sin, right? That instead of trusting in God to provide for those deepest desires and needs, we think, I know best. The Anglican theologian Richard Hooker once said, Sin is saying to God, I need thee not. I don't need you. I can do it my own way, Lord. And what happens? We're told in Genesis that once Adam and Eve eat from the fruit, their eyes are open. And they realize they're naked. And so they make for themselves clothing out of fig leaves. Why, why fig leaves? You ever wondered that? You know, why, why, not, uh, why not some other kind of leaf? Why, why choose fig leaves? And what do, those, what do those represent? 
Well, I've got, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is, thankfully, our clothing has come a long way since fig leaves. We don't have to wear that. Even those of you worshiping at home in your pajamas, you're, we've come a long way from having to wear fig leaves. But here's the, here's the bad news, is that fig leaves are still with us. Fig leaves are still around. Those people that are way smarter than me that pointed this out. What are fig leaves? What do they do? They're about covering. They're about hiding. They're about concealing part of ourselves because of the failure that happens. Man, I've, I've blown and I've got I've to hide this part of me. You know, at some point when we were young, you and I realized that, man, this world is not a perfect place. And that not everybody's going to love us unconditionally all the time just because of who we are. Now, hopefully you had a steady stream of that love when you were young. But, um, but at some point you realized not everyone you met was going to love you for who you were. So what do we do at that point? We put on our fig leaf. We think, if you can't love me for, for who I am, well, at least love me for this. At least love me because I'm the most successful person in the room, or the most powerful, or the most likable, or the smartest, or the nicest. We put on this fig leaf and say, if you can't love me because of who I am, at least love me because of this that I'm putting up. But you see what that does in terms of failure? It makes failure all the more scary. Because if in order for people to love you, you've got to be the successful person, what happens if you don't get the, the promotion? You start to think, man, am I, am I a failure? Or if you have to be loved by being the most relatable, likable person, what happens if somebody turns away from you? You start to think, man, do I not, do I not, do I not add up? Back before the fall, Adam and Eve, they didn't need these fig leaves. They, were, they knew. They knew they were loved by God. They, they understood that. And they were able to praise him fully. They were able to love each other and care for creation. But sin, sin changed that. For the first time in the Bible, it says two people are afraid. 365 times God's going to say, don't be afraid in the Bible. This is the first time we're told two people are afraid. And they even try to hide from God. The text says this, Then the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Who does God love? You know, if we were to ask people on the street, does God love good people, whatever, um, however you conceive of what good means? My guess is that most people would say, yeah, yeah, more or less. But if we ask the same people, does God love people who every day fail to walk with him, obey him, love him? My guess is that those same people would be more hesitant to say yes. But, but hopefully you see the issue right away with that, because who are those who fail every day to walk with God, to love Him, to obey Him fully? It's all of us. All of us fall short of that every single day. But what God does from Genesis on is He determines to bring us back into relationship with Him, to say your failure, however big or small, is not going to be final. Your failure won't be final. I got that, I, that quote from Winston Churchill, one of, my, um, one of my great heroes. Once he said, your success won't be final. Your failure won't be fatal. 
It's the courage to continue that counts. The courage to continue. Jesus, um, Jesus comes. He comes to bring, uh, to bring us back, to draw us back closer to God. And um, he does that for, uh, not because of our failure. Um, he does that to bring us back into relationship with him. Who are the good guys in Jesus' day, so to speak? Most people would have considered the Pharisees to be the, quote, good guys. They were the people who seemed to keep the law, who rarely seemed to fail. They had a good fig leaf. They were the rule followers. Did Jesus dislike the Pharisees? No. He loved them just the way he loved everybody else. In fact, in Luke chapter 7, he goes into the home for dinner of one of the Pharisees, Simon. And uh, he's able to um, have dinner there with him. Um, but then we're told that uh, um, there were other people whose failures were, um, uh, they weren't able to hide them as much. Uh, in fact, we hear that one of the, one of the women, um, one of these people comes into the Pharisee's house. This is what the text says. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Luke says this, she lived a sinful life, which, which is a way of saying that people in society would have viewed her as a failure. They did. She lived a sinful life as if she lived a more sinful life than anybody, than anybody else. And you know what I wonder is if uh, after hearing that, after feeling that from those around her, she started to believe that message. When, when they said, your life is disposable, your, your life is, is, is a failure. I mean, you don't belong here. You don't belong at this table with, with uh, the Pharisees and with Jesus. What are you doing here? I wonder if she had, for a long time, she had believed those messages. She had taken the failure and brought it inside. And she didn't have a fig leaf. She didn't have a fig leaf to cover that up. But at some point, Jesus meets this, this woman. And he doesn't see somebody who's disposable. You know what he sees? He sees a daughter. He sees a daughter of the king. And that, that way in which he looked at her, it changed everything for her. You know, I don't often quote um, Martin Luther in sermons, although he is our spiritual guide as um, Christians from the Lutheran tradition. But today I had, I had a quote that was too good not to share with you all. This is what Luther said once he said, Sinners are attractive, not because they are loved. Sinners are attractive because they are loved. They're not loved because they are attractive. It's not our attractiveness that causes God to love us. It's his love that makes us attractive, that changes us. It's the reason we talk about being um, sinners and saints. Do we fall short of the glory of God? Every single day. Every day we break the commandments. But don't stop there. Don't stop there with that sinner part, with our failure. Jesus doesn't. Rather like the woman in the story, come to him. Come to him. Maybe you're listening today and you long, you long to be in that deeper relationship with him. But you think as you try to pray or you try to be with Christ, man, he didn't want to be with me. I, if he, look, he knows what I've done. What the story shows today is you're the exact person he does want to come to him. All of us. 
She comes and she kneels at Jesus' feet. She anoints them with alabaster and wipes them with her hair, dries them. And she's so moved because he calls her daughter. He embraces her. Because of the cross, our identity is not shaped by our failures, but by the faithfulness of Jesus' love for us. Luther was right. It's not our it's not our attractiveness that makes him love us. It's his love that makes us attractive. And these fig leaves that we carry that say, if you can't love me, at least love this about me. They're a weak covering. And there's such a greater covering that we don't need the fig leaf anymore. We don't need it. Paul says in Romans, blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. What covers us is the grace of Christ. The grace of Christ. Your failure isn't final. And it starts when God says to you and to me, let me tell you what your real identity is. It's not, it's not all those times that we've blown it. It's, it's, it's that you're my child. It's that you're my son and you're my daughter. And man, what a powerful change that can have. I got to tell you one, one, uh, one story about that. One of the greatest um, American inventors of all time is Thomas Edison. We know him most famously invented the light bulb, but he did lots of other things from tel- uh, cameras for film to photography. He had over a thousand patents in his life. But one day when he was little, he came home from school and he handed his mother a note. And he said, Mom, the teacher said to only give this to you. And so his mother opened the note, and she looked at it for a moment, and then she said, she read it out to him, and she said, Your son is a genius. We don't have the teachers to to teach him here, so you need to to school him at home. And so she did. But years later, um, after time had passed, his mother had died, Edison was back in his mother's home, and he was cleaning out furniture, going through drawers, and in one of the drawers in her desk, he found this piece of paper, and he recognized it as the same one, so he opened it up, and inside, he looked at it, and what the note actually said was, your son is an addled child, which means mentally challenged. We're not going to allow him to come to our school anymore, and Edison just, he burst into tears. But later, he wrote in his diary, Thomas Alva Edison, an adult child by a hero mother, became the genius of the century. If the words of an earthly parent, if they can have that kind of effect, what kind of effect can the words of our heavenly parent have on us? Jesus says, don't be afraid. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. You know, somebody counted them once. They think most of us have around 100,000 hairs on our head, but I'm glad I didn't have that job. But God knows specifically for you. He knows every part about you. And he knows that your failure, it isn't final. And he wants to give us something greater than failure. He wants to give us hope, something greater than fear. Hope that our life is under construction as the Holy Spirit is working in them right now. Hope that although we are sinners, we've been declared saints for Jesus' sake. Hope that although we fall short, we've been joined to the greatest victory of all time, the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ through his cross and his triumphant rising for us on Easter Sunday. 
Friends, I want to remind you today, your failure isn't final. It's the courage to continue that counts, the courage that comes from Jesus in your heart. So let me just say this. If right now you have been pondering whether to try something, to step out in something new and the fear of failure, what could go wrong and this could happen is holding you back, I want to encourage you to try it. Ask her to the dance. Take the shot. Step out in ministry. If it, if it succeeds, great. Praise God. If it doesn't, God's got a greater purpose. And you're still alive in the victory of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, I hope that was helpful. If so, I ask you a couple of things. One, share this with a friend so that they can hear some good news in their life too. And if you want to continue that impact beyond, we ask that you go to ChristSouth.org to the online giving tab and give to this ministry so that we can continue to share this with others. We'll see you on the next podcast or maybe in person at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at Polo Ridge Elementary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Blessings and peace. Have an awesome week.